So we have a lot of solutions which we can deploy already and we have proof of concepts and we have many of them, but very little to scale. So this is an inherent problem of the markets which we are working in. The other extreme would be gaming industry. If you develop a new game, you release it, the next day you eventually have a billion potential users. That scales easily. And this is what I meant with cracking the code. It's cracking the code to scale solutions in our space. Hello everyone, this is Barbara Hampton, CEO of Siemens USA, and welcome to the Optimistic Outlook. I have a really special guest with me today, our global CEO, Roland Bush. Roland, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Barbara. You know, it's been such a remarkable year for Siemens. Here we are celebrating last year, 175 years of the company's history. And, and you've really led us into this new era, but you've reminded us where we've come from with the number of people who've worked and the countries we've been in and, and putting in perspective how few companies have stood the test of time. I'd love for our audience to hear your perspective on this longevity. Well, actually, when I was preparing my speech for our celebration, I figured out there are two very special elements in our history. Number one is that over the last 175 years, four million people worked for Siemens. It's an amazing amount of people. Um, and the, there's always a high quality of people who work for Siemens, and this is still the case. Secondly, there's one constant in our history, which is transformation. We transformed the company all over again for years after years. And we are, interestingly enough, we are in the midst of another transformation. There's one difference though. This will be the transformation with highest speed because technology development, digitalization is shortening cycle times, development times. So we really are in an extreme fast transformation. And that's the challenge of the management of today. Oh, we're going to get into so much of the discussion of just how is this uh, environment changing and how's the company changing. But underlying all of this, I have a key question for you. Are you yourself an optimist? If so, tell me why and describe what that optimism means for you. Clear yes. I'm an optimist. Maybe sometimes I believe I'm too optimistic, so I, I don't see all the risk behind, so I'm really, I'm really going for the positive ones. The reason why I'm an optimist is because um, if you take change or critical situations as a chance to improve and to make something out of it, you're always better off. And I do believe that um, if we are seeing all the problems in the world, I mean, is it the climate change, the resources which we need, um, the aging society, the food supply, if you really have an optimistic attitude, I do believe we can make the world a better place. Yeah, people often ask me if, if optimism is about wearing rose-colored glasses, and it isn't. Not really. No, it's about having the confidence that we actually have the know-how to go solve the problems that are ahead of us. Exactly. Well, one of the big things that we see happening right now is uh, a change in the way the global marketplace even operates. And you've used that term, globalization. I've been sharing this with our audience, uh, you know, the, the concept of being able to, um, to make things where they're needed. I, I, please, share with our audience your view of globalization, why it's important right now, and yeah. how does technology play a role? 
So here comes the point. The pessimists would say we are heading for a decoupling and globalization is over. The optimistic view would be, no, 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 we are heading for even more global world, which is much more resilient because we are reallocating value added to different places, making, reducing dependencies, and at the same time um, going for new opportunities, which we have. So this is exactly what's happening right now. We learned it uh, through the COVID crisis, um, the war, uh, the supply chain problems, that the way how we built our value added on the globe is too much centered around leveraging low labor. Um, going into, I mean, China is one place where you have all the industrial assets which were um, basically outsourced, and maybe to an extent which is too much. So therefore, and I'm not, I'm not arguing about the, the Chinese market itself, it's a growing market, but are there, isn't it better to really differentiate a little bit um, in both ways? The go-to market, so where you sell stuff, but also the supply chain. So at the end of the day, I do believe we will have a, even a glo more global world um, that requires producing in places where the labor costs are eventually higher, maybe in smaller lot sizes. But here again, technology can give an answer to really be competitive even in that circumstances. So I think that's what's happening and it cuts across all our businesses. Yeah, it's fascinating because we have the ability now to move data, not stuff. <laughs> we, we have the ability to take that global ingenuity, something that's been invented somewhere, but make it possible uh, for it to be manufactured elsewhere. That leads us really into this whole um, uh, sustainability topic. Because if we can, in fact, shorten supply chains, yes. if we can plan for better resource use, we'll actually as well be contributing to our sustainability objectives. Yeah, indeed. And there are a couple of elements in it. Um, and you have kind of uh, factor costs which you have to consider. I mean, number one is the energy supply. Um, is it reliable? Is it uh, carbon neutral? Second one is available of resources. Do you have the right capabilities if you talk about reallocation? Um, and then, of course, it's about technology because technology makes you more independent from the availability of people to the extent yet to need higher quality of people, which is another a very, very important element. So that's the way how, how companies are looking at it. Um, talking about the United States, uh, they will be on the receiving end if it comes to high energy intensive markets. Because, um, as needless to say, this you have the, you're enjoying the lowest energy prices, um, I would say, even in the world, and a stable energy system. So, um, and, but again, this is an opportunity for other countries too, because if you, if you have, to, have to let go higher energy-intensive uh, industries, then you look for others where you can really doubling down on your competencies. So it's a, it will be a reshift. Um, good news for us, because reshifting value-added meaning building new greenfield plants. Um, and this is where I believe technology comes into play because why would you settle for less than fully digitalized, fully automized if you build a new plant? So, um, and the end, uh, the last point I guess is that we need to have the right people in place. This is maybe the biggest challenge. Think about the amount of semiconductor plants which are going to be built. Um, you need highly skilled people to run them? Is it the new battery manufacturing? You need highly skilled people. So this is, I do believe, maybe one of the biggest challenges we have. How can we educate and train people in order to bring them um, in contact to these new technologies and make them deploy efficiently? Yeah, let's delve into that a little bit because mm -hmm. for many people, the future has been described almost as a scary 
thing. The robots are coming to take over oh, yeah. our jobs. Automation is going to replace us. And, and, and in fact, what we're seeing is, frankly, there's just such a, a shortage of the people to get the work done that we need every person to be more productive. What are you seeing as you travel around the world in the types of jobs that are emerging and the, and, and the ways in which technology is, is helping? Yeah. So I do believe the people who ever scared from robots taking their, their jobs, they oversaw the we are living in aging societies. Maybe with the exception of Africa, maybe India, um, there's a really a problem. Uh, therefore, I do believe the only way how to really still grow, grow and use less resources is deploying technology in, in, in any way what we do. It goes for energy production, the supply, the, the, the grid, the distribution, but also the consumption. So we need to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that requires, again, it requires a kind of a, a reshift of work. It's, 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 it's reshuffling, so to speak. But for me, the point would be, we have a chance to deploy human resources at places where we need them. I'll give you one example. It's meaningless if a nurse runs around in a hospital looking for stuff for their ultrasound equipment or whatever they do, rather than having that available at every point in time and take care about the patient. So this is the way how technology can also change the way how we work in order to make us most productive where human beings are better than robots. And a service role like nursing even can benefit from the technology that helps with the location of high value equipment. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a great example. And it's fascinating to think that we might see our supply chains now shifting, as you say, not for labor arbitrage, but maybe for energy arbitrage, maybe for demand arbitrage. Yeah. And, and so we at Siemens, of course, will, will rise to the challenge of helping our customers adapt um, and adapt and move into that. A good example of that, this week you've been in Phoenix. And a great example, here in the Phoenix area, there's so much development going on in the technologies of the future, whether it's semiconductors, whether it's battery manufacturing, whether it's autonomous driving. Uh, Phoenix has been a city that has leaned into all that. One in particular, core power. Um, the, uh, I know that you're aware that the, the team here, it was actually Siemens Financial Services that helped mm -hmm make the financial contribution to get this off the ground, and now an opportunity for our technology to be put into use. Any other great examples you've seen? Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, coming back to Arizona and to Phoenix, uh, it's obviously a place which, number one, has a very reliable power supply, and a region which is, or a city which is going to be green also in this power supply, which is a very good combination for, for example, data centers. Yes. I visited a data center where you need reliable power supply, you needed redundancies and whatnot, um, they found it here. Um, it, another one is semiconductors. I visited an Intel semiconductor plant and they are going to expand it. And what do they need? They need reliable power supply, green preferably, and they need the right people to run it. And uh, Phoenix has very good universities, um, and so they are really doubling down on what they have already in terms of semiconductors for the next generation, which is the latest generation of technology to deploy it here. Next one is battery manufacturing, as you mentioned. So I do believe there's a lot of, these are very good examples of technology 
coming to the United States. So Arizona is a great uh, illustration of the power of this glocalization that's going on. Um, but at the recent shareholders meeting, uh, you actually encapsulated the whole Siemens strategy into just a few words. We yes. combine the real and the digital. Tell us more about that strategy and what you want oh, investors and other, other stakeholders in our business to know. Well, actually, first statement I would like to make is Siemens is a technology company. We would like to be recognized as a technology company where we drive the value out of the core technologies which we're developing and which we're deploying in all our businesses, from industry to infrastructure, buildings, mobility, and healthcare. And I do believe this is the strength of Siemens. Um, this goes along with a very strong supply chain management or regional organization. There's a lot of elements which are coming together which makes Siemens so powerful. One reason why we were also running so strongly through the supply chain crisis, because we could leverage the power of Siemens and, of course, we treated our suppliers properly also in the past. That pays off. Okay. So Siemens is a technology company. Um, the second uh, thing what I would like the audience to, to remember is that we are transforming the everyday of billions of people. Why I'm saying that? Because it's not that obvious how we contribute to societies and to the environment. So you have to go a little bit closer, look behind the scene. So I'll take an example. Each car which is passing by is eventually touched by Siemens technology. Is in the design phase, in the production phase. If you go for any country and look for the power supply with a probability of, I think, 30-40%, the electrons which are receiving you were touched by Siemens technology, low voltage, medium voltage technologies. Um, if you walk in New York, you cannot walk by a block without passing by a building which is automated by building technologies. And we are moving, I don't know, a high percentage of people in public transport with Siemens transport. Is it signaling? Is it, is it rolling stock? So we are, we are really, wherever people are, we make a contribution. And I do believe it's a contribution which is helping societies in, in a positive way. So how do we do that and what makes Siemens difference, different? And this is strategy in one sentence. We're combining the real and the digital world. Sounds simple. It's not that simple. Why do we do that? Because when you do that, you can drive productivity in manufacturing to the next higher level. You can optimize your uptime of assets which you have, the lifetime. You can shorten the cycle time because if you develop, develop uh, your products in a virtual world and you then execute in the real world much, much faster. And once it's in the field and you find a problem, you can go back to the design, change it immediately and be extremely fast in optimizing. So, um, and Siemens has all the ingredients to do that better than any other company in the world. We have the software tools. We are one of the largest software companies, industrial software companies in the world. We have the hardware. So we're sitting on the shop floor. We have the OT technology, and we have the know-how for our markets. So the um, domain know-how, we call it, which you need in order to combine the real and the digital world. It's exciting that we've seen, we, in our recent lives, we've seen the power of a software-enabled physical object. We think about the cars we drive now and how much can be managed through the software upgrades themselves. Now we're 
as Siemens, we're reaching out and helping customers enable all kinds of physical assets that had never been connected before. And, and it's exciting to see it come together. Yeah, and I strongly believe that this is the way how we can drive our markets to the next level, which we need to do. Again, saving resources. Talking about recycling, for example. If you don't embed recyclability in the design of your product, you will not be able to do that at the end. So these are all the tools which you have at hand. Ultimately, we are targeting for the industrial metaverse, which I believe is the, the ultimate vision of where you can go. Technology is there already. You can already start deploying it and build it from, so, from where you are. So a lot of people, when you say metaverse, they're picturing a guy in a hoodie in a basement playing video games, maybe exactly. with a virtual All reality headset. What comes to your mind when you describe the industrial metaverse? Yeah, this was what we just described. This is the metaverse. And um, you can argue now whether it's good or not if people are playing too many games and they're spent uh, for virtual assets, money. For me, the industrial metaverse is really geared for solving real problems in the world. And um, let me explain it, uh, how that would look like. Imagine you're sitting in a manufacturing site wherever on the globe, um, and it somehow is out of sync. So the output is steadily declining. Could be assembly line for a car. Very experienced manufacturing hat doesn't know why. It's a very subtle problem, but again, output is declining. So now you have the industrial metaverse, which is a really a digital twin a physical, real digital twin of the very same plant in all details. So you can immerse yourself into it and look at it, how it runs, real time, real time and physics-based. You can ask the head of the robots manufacturing company, diving into and immersing himself into all the head of manufacturing for the global company to look at it and to see what's going on. They still don't know what's happening. They decide now, don't, let's, don't watch the real time, let's go back in time. So they travel back in time and they come to a point where the output was still okay. So they go forward and figure out what happened in between. It was a soft, software update for all the robots. Just one robot didn't get it. Very rare case, but it could happen. So now they start uploading the new software to this very same robot in the virtual world and they run, they run the metaverse and see problem is fixed. Now they, they can deploy the software in the real world and start manufacturing again with the same output. So this is how powerful it can be to solve a problem remotely. You have all the expertise coming from the outside and figuring out what's happening. And then you can even go to the future and say what happens if you run the plant for longer and longer and longer and maybe eventually above the service um, cycle of real robots. When would it fail? How long can you expand it? Because you have an uptake cycle and you want to really run, run, run. All of that can be done and maybe at night you can um, run an AI bot and that AI bot comes back next day and gives you ideas how to improve productivity. That's the industrial metaverse. That can't be done in just the physical world. This is the true value Absolutely. of the tools that, I mean, have been created in a, maybe in a world thinking about the entertainment or, or the retail space now being applied to 
the internet of really big things that exactly. we get to work on. Exactly, and you can deploy to any kind of asset, any kind of operations you can think of. Um, a grid which you're running, a microgrid, uh, a grid of a country, trains uh, which you operate, buildings, so any place, and it really does the trick in terms of really improving the productivity very much. So. It's inspiring. And, and I, we've had the chance, we'll have some links in our show notes for people to click on so they can see the uh, real life examples we have of the industrial metaverse at work and, and to get a better understanding about how Roland, you're, you're leading us uh, in, in this strategic direction for the company. But there's a concept that you've been really focused on with our team inside Siemens about cracking the code. And it, so, yeah, we're a tech company. A lot of people think of us as an industrial powerhouse. But more and more, as I participate in activities, I find myself being introduced as Barbara Humpton from Siemens, the technology powerhouse. And, and it's exciting to realize that, yeah, people, our, our stakeholders are understanding. The, we're looking for the kind of benefits, the business benefits that the technology companies have been able to drive in, in a world that has largely been driven on an industrial scale yes. pace. Tell us about cracking the code and what, what are you striving for here? So um, that's a very interesting question. So we have a lot of solutions which we can deploy already and we have proof of concepts and we have many of them. But very little to scale. So this is an inherent problem of the markets which we are working in. The other extreme would be gaming industry. If you develop a new game, you release it, the next day you eventually have a billion potential users. That scales easily. If I have a solution for, let's say, a chemical plant for one of our customers, which works very well, kind of a digital twin solution, which is uh, make an IoT stack uh, for this very same plant, improves productivity. I cannot just take it, plug and play it, and sell it to 100 other chemical customers. Here you need a certain adoption. So, and this is what I meant with cracking the code. It's cracking the code to scale solutions in our space. What does it mean? It means, number one, a solid understanding of our markets, our specific markets, um, because you cannot scale across food and beverage and maybe pharma or automotive. They all have different requirements. So you have to be in a space where you say these are similar requirements, number one. Number two, you have to build the core modules which are addressing the problems they have, they share all. All have the same problem in driving their productivity, making their operations work. And then you have to make sure that you can customize or parametrize for the very specific needs of a plant. This customization goes southbound because you have legacy infrastructure which you have to adapt your technology to. And northbound when you talk about applications, how people run the operations, so it's more the user interface. The things in between should be the same. So we are targeting for maybe 80-90% commonality and this the the specification comes with parametrization. This is the plan that we have. Mm -hmm. And which is, in other words, taking complexity out and build it into our solutions and allow to scale. That's cracking the code. Uh, uh, cracking the code. And, and a big part of cracking the code then comes back to people. Because making this... Um, accessible to people, making it possible for people to find those solutions. And I know we've launched the Siemens Accelerator, 
the, the digital open business platform that will make it easy for, for folks to, to come and find those solutions. Um, I, I'd love to hear your perspective on these next steps. What is it that's really gonna drive this transformation? I think that the Siemens accelerator is, is one element or maybe the core element in order to crack the code. How? Number one is it is, as you said, it's an open business, digital business platform. It comes, number one, with a technology stack. We talk about technologies, hardware and software. Not every hardware, it's only connected hardware which talks to the cloud, so to speak, which has a connectivity in. And this hardware should be modular and uh, interoperable. So it's plug and play. So it's like Lego stones. They are, they are standardized on, on these little knobs. So they have to be the same size and height. Anything else you can do whatever you want. So they have to match. In, in, in software language, you call it APIs. You should be able to plug and play. So this is a very good first step. It's our technology but it's also the technology of our partners. So this is the second element of the accelerator, Siemens Accelerator, it's the ecosystem. We want, it's an open platform, so we want to have partners, third-party developers, um, tech companies, integration companies to really join us on this marketplace in order to use that technology to deploy it in the, in the respective markets. And the third element, of course, is the marketplace, which is a place where you can inform yourself where you can really find your customer journey for your solution. If you are kind of automotive company, you want to go sustainable and carbon neutral, you find your way there. Um, or is it a, a train operator who says, I want to have trains which are running 24 seven without interruption. So this is the third, this is the, the third element and it's also a transactional place, which is a little bit complicated mm -hmm. because this marketplace ultimately allows you not only to purchase a box, a PLC, or a piece of a hardware, but the whole stack, the whole technology stack, including the software as a SaaS, as a license fee, but maybe also the integration value which you need from a third party. Um, that's not in the market yet, so, and we are not, also not ready with our marketplace. It's, a, it's, a, it's a developing, with a lot of elements already in there, but this is the way how we want to develop it is, and this is also then the way how we can crack the code because if you find solutions there which are easily to deploy it, you even have examples of customers who already use it, then you can have a, ch a high chance to really scale it up faster. Well, Roland, one of the things I've been so excited about with your visit is that while you're here, and it, this will have happened before this segment goes live, uh, we'll be announcing the new rail facility in Lexington, North Carolina. Uh, just share the details with us. Absolutely. So you have to know that we are the market leader in North America if it comes to light rail. Um, and uh, we have a, a very strong plant in Sacramento. Long time, growing, 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 and now we are running out of capacity. Also thanks to the order from Amtrak. Uh, started with locomotives, coaches are to come. So we are running out of space. So we were looking into the United States and now we're sitting on the West Coast and then we look to the East Coast. We had to put another plant, of course, in a place where you have a connection to Amtrak rail and we found it in Lexington, very good place. So we are about to open now a plant which is going to operate in 2024 already. So it has to go very, very fast. We are producing coaches there for Amtrak um, and eventually also in the future, any kind of battery or hydrogen powered locomotives um, so this is a plant which does service to 
So we are looking very much forward to really um, ramp it up and go for maybe also the next generation of high-speed trains in the United States. We're all pulling for high-speed rail in the U.S., that's for sure. Fantastic. You know, Roland, you've given us such an incredible glimpse at the things that Siemens is doing, the strategy, the vision that's been set for the company now. It, look ahead five years when we're successful at what we're working on right now. Tell us what a difference it makes in the world. So how would success look like in five years? So if uh, any customer of ours would wonder where I can go for a kind of a digitalizing my operations, make them automated and being really competitive, or even build an industrial metaverse, if they say, go to Siemens, this is the place where to go, that would be success. We, I define success also in having successful customers because we help them making their transformation. And most of them are in the midst of a transformation as we are because they face the same challenges. So our customers should be happy. Then um, we should have a very, very strong and highly educated employer base. So today we have 310,000 people globally. I hope that we have much, much more by then. And they are highly educated and trained for the jobs of the future. Then I hope that we can make our contribution to the climate and the environment in using less resources and helping our customers using less resources. By the time we will execute on our CO2 reduction um, program, not only on our own operations, but also in the supply chain and for our customers. Um, and then, then you have definitively uh, the society. And I hope that we also make our contribution to the society in order to make it work and to make it a better place to live. And we don't have to forget our shareholders, of course. Of course. Um, they should be happy too in having a company which is fast growing and with a very high conversion delivering on cash flow too. Customer impact, technology with purpose. It comes from this growth mindset of the employee base and the empowerment. Roland, thank you so much for the time today on the Optimistic Outlook. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Think about it. People often ask me, Barb, why are you optimistic and why are you so energetic? Well, I think you just got a glimpse at the, the true reason, working for a company like Siemens, working for a leader like Roland Bush, this is truly a way to ensure renewable energy. <laughs> so go to our show notes to find more links to resources that'll be helpful to you. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Please follow us on social media and on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you for tuning in.